You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 17. The Model A charcoal sketch of an elderly man, naked save for a posing pouch, sits unframed in a drawer. It's one of many such studies drawn by my mother during the late 1970s. Because the subject spent the better half of half a century sitting as a professional model in art schools and life-drawing classes, it's fair to say that there are probably studies of him lying forgotten in drawers everywhere. The fact that for his entire modelling career he always wore a posing pouch belies his later self-styled title of the naked civil servant, but I suppose everyone has their own right to modesty. Two days before the Wehrmacht invaded Poland, at the age of nine, Mum, along with her older sister Rose, was evacuated from Stepney to an idyllic farm in Borough Green, Cambridgeshire, a place she described to me as straight out of Millie Molly Mandy. Mum remembered a surfeit of fresh eggs and butter during a time of rationing, of staying up late playing cards by gaslight with Mr and Mrs Starvis who owned the farm. When my grandmother received a letter from Mrs Starvis offering to adopt both daughters, she was on the first train out of King's Cross to reclaim her brood. The entire family then decamped to Merthyr Tydfil in Wales, where Grandpa Haircut got a job as a barber. By 1943, the worst of the Blitz was over, save for the odd V1 rocket, and it was considered safe to return to London. Rose, now in her late teens, took the common route of most young women at the time, training in shorthand and typing at a secretarial college in preparation for years of office torpor. Mum's situation was more complicated. She resumed her education at Central Foundation, a girls' grammar school in the East End, with the intention of passing her exams and eventually studying law. But a wartime shortage of teachers meant that schools were using any excuse to shed pupils. After a few weeks, the headmistress called Mum into her office. What would you like to do when you leave school, Caroline? I want to train as a lawyer, miss. The headmistress quickly deflated her ambitions, stating blankly that such a profession was impossible for someone of her gender, ethnicity and social standing. You are certainly a clever girl, and your art teacher in particular tells me you are very talented, my dear. Have you thought about art school? Which is how, barely into her teens, Mum began the autumn term of 1943 training on a scholarship at St Martin's College of Art on Charing Cross Road. She wasn't the only child in her class there. Fellow students of the same age included an eccentric but amiable lad from Stepney called Lionel Begleiter, who later changed his surname to Bart, and Jimmy Beck, now remembered as Private Walker in Dad's Army. I would love to tell of how Mum's dive into the demimonde of the 1940s art scene opened her eyes up to a new world of delights and possibilities, with afternoons hanging out with Lucien Freud and Francis Bacon in the French house or the colony room. The reality was that, by her own admission, Mum was quite shy and bookish. She loved being able to train as a commercial artist and relished the discipline imposed by her no-nonsense tutors, 
that found the underground culture of Charing Cross Road and Soho in the mid-40s somewhat intimidating. She was, after all, only 13. Many years later, around 1970, my family sat in front of the TV watching a World in Action episode about men at odds with conventional norms. Bloody hell, it's Quentin Crisp, said Mum. The rest of us had never heard of him. For the next half hour, we watched a very camp, middle-aged man in a matching flowery shirt and cravat kick against established norms by simply refusing to tidy up. And the evidence was all around him. His World's End bedsit displayed a level of Orgean filth and squalor we rarely see today. He might also have discussed his gay lifestyle and fashion choices, but none of this really registered. Only the repulsive state of his home. Indeed, it was such a talking point that for some years afterwards, the most famous quote by Crisp was, There's no need to do any housework at all. After the first four years, the dust doesn't get any worse. You know him? asked my brother Andrew. He used to model in our life classes at St Martin's. At the time, he gave me the creeps, but seeing him now, he looks quite sad. It's as if he doesn't feel he exists unless people are looking at him. A couple of years passed, until the sensation caused by the naked civil servant and John Hurt's portrayal catapulted Crisp from documentary oddity to full-blown celebrity. To a generation who only ever saw gay men on TV in terms of John Inman or Larry Grayson, it was a brilliant and groundbreaking film which afforded Crisp enough media exposure to put away his posing pouch forever, all save for one stint on Thursday evenings. By this time, around 1979, Mum co-taught a life drawing class in a council-run adult education centre on Greenleaf Road, Walthamstow. Her fellow tutor, Nora Mackey, was the kind of person who made humdrum suburbia in the 1970s bearable. She was a professional artist and teacher, whose bohemian demeanour and stout appearance conjured up nothing so much as Marianne Faithful in the physical form of Dame Margaret Rutherford. Nora's long friendship with Crisp ensured that in between performances of his one-man show in the West End or attending gallery openings, his last regular gig as an artist's model was in this former friend's meeting house in north-east London. Why does he still work for Nora? I once asked Mum after she brought home a few sketches of him. Because she always buys chockey bickies for the half-time break, she replied. And that's it? That's it. As long as there are plain chocolate digestives, he'll turn up. For some reason, the lure of the Big Apple eventually outdid the lure of McVitie's home wheat and Greenleaf Road. And despite previously staying in the Chelsea Hotel on the night Sid Vicious murdered Nancy Spungen, Crisp settled in New York permanently in 1981. Such was the cultural importance of this move that Sting even recorded an Englishman in New York in his honour. His flat on East 3rd Street soon assumed the same level of squalor as his old London bedsit. But within the arty world of Manhattan, no chic dinner party, no gallery opening, no book launch was complete without Crisp's iconic and well-compensated presence. He was happy. 
he existed. That was The Model, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this, then why not hit like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next time.